Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today's episode asks the question, does security automation need to soar or just fly? Now, a lot of discussions I've had with CISOs and on panels or simply in forums like LinkedIn, they've started to shift from being focused around the skills shortage, which we've been hearing about for years, to talking more about the promise of automation. But automation really means different things to different people. What they're trying to get out of it varies greatly. So I thought it'd be good to talk about what it means and some of the very popular approaches being taken to address automation. So to help us dive into this, we've invited Craig Sanderson, who's the VP of Security Product Management at Infoblox due to his breadth of experience on the automation front. And he's actually in an odd role where it demands he be neutral on the topic since his team manages products <laughs> that include automation features. But those mm-hmm. same products also have to be fully integratable with source solutions. So thank mm-hmm. you for joining us, Craig. Great to be here, Bob. Nice to talk to you again. Now, what I wanted to start talking about was just, you know, let's hit the elephant in the room, the security orchestration, automation and response or source solutions. But despite the impressive list of capabilities um, that, you know, are in that name, it doesn't actually allow you to, you know, let go of your security operations team. You're not going to be doing layoffs. Um, It's not a huge, massive AI system that just automates everything. So let's get into what it really, what can people really expect if they were to do SOAR? Right. Yeah, I mean, SOAR tools, I mean, I think they're going to be an essential part of security operations infrastructure going forward. I mean, there is a tendency where people say, well, let me try and find the, the silver bullet or that, that one solution that's going to like solve the problem. I mean, security just isn't like that across the board, and it's in particular around security operations. So SOAR tools, I think, are absolutely critical. What they allow you to do is to codify your security operations to make the limited resources you do have more efficient to allow them, who those in your organization who maybe don't have all of the skills give them the necessary guardrails so they can perform the functions efficiently and effectively. I guess, I guess that, that that orchestration part, though, that sounds really important because that also addresses yeah. the side of the skill shortage where you've got less skilled people who are do you know, they're going to make mistakes, but mm-hmm. these, like you said, it puts those guardrails up so that you can yeah. use less skilled people to do the tasks. Um, so it's supplementing the people as well as improving the processes. Is that a good way to yeah. summarize it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the mistakes that people will make is thinking, well, you know, this is going to remove security operations staff. No, it's not. It's just going to make them a lot more efficient, more effective and upskill them. So that's the key thing to bear in mind. And some folks go into it not necessarily appreciating the fact that the SOAR tool is a tool, but you need to know how to use the tool and you need to understand your environment well enough to determine how to apply that tool. And that tends to be the biggest challenge around SOAR. But the technology is an excellent innovation. I think it's critical going forward. And a lot of it is driven by the challenges where you've, in most environments, you have heterogeneous security enforcement points and visibility points. They're all providing you input around what's going on from a security point of view. Making sense of that and kind of having an efficient response to that is challenging. And SOAR tools give you a great opportunity to, to codify <clears throat> that response. But again, it's even SOAR tools themselves, they're not the be all and end all. You still need things like SIMS, you still need uh, threat intel platforms, you still need some of the other kind of operational tools that bring all those pieces together. But um, yeah, for a lot of organizations, they sometimes going into it a little bit naively thinking that this is just going to solve the problem. It's a tool to help you solve the problem. Yeah. And and you mentioned Sims, which I thought was a very important point because um, like Splunk, they went and bought Phantom Cyber. So they've got a, a Sim and mm-hmm. and a SOAR and they're, they're kind of merging. And I've read some articles where a lot of the industry analysts and stuff, they kind of see a bit of a, of a merger of this. So it's going to become... 
soar with visual visualization uh, and management. So it's sort of them. Uh, it's going to screw up the whole acronym. Yeah, it's, it's uh, everyone likes like a nice clean category. Like I buy this thing to solve this problem. Uh, security operations are multifaceted. You're still going to need a sim to be able to do your log management to do the correlation. It certainly has it. Certainly going to continue to have its role. But in terms of being able to codify the response of what your SecOps instant responders do, for them to be able to go through a consistent way of investigating incidents and events, that's where the sort will really shine. So I see that what most organizations will do is use a combination of those functions. Now, whether you end up having one organization or one vendor that can give you all of that, maybe that's going to happen at some point. Right now, that doesn't seem to be the case. So it's going to be a case of customers using things like SIMs. They're going to use SOAR tools. Um, increasingly, you hear the, the phrase XDR, where vendors of security infrastructure are starting to come along and, and also managed service providers who are providing automated analysis of security events. That's the other challenge you get is you get yeah. uh, different events from different tools and platforms, but your challenge is saying, well, okay, this guy's telling me this, this guy's telling me that. How do I kind of normalize and get a consistent view of what's going on? So you're going to have XDR, NDR tools, you're going to have SIM, you're going to have SOAR. Even threat intel platforms still have a place you still have to manage the threat intel you're going to deploy. So it's going to be a, a suite of tools. And you know the combination you use will largely depend on your organization. But you need a clear vision and plan of how you're going to run your SecOps with uh, the staff that you've got and the resources you've got. And then making sure you can abide the tools that are going to have the greatest impact. So the other challenge that you see is organizations will buy a tool, but not really understand whether their teams have the skills and expertise to actually operate it. So uh, one, one customer said to me, he goes, well, from this point on, if I can't, uh, if I can't fly, I'm not going to buy it, given that what you were talking about earlier. That's one of the key things that people have to understand when they're making a buying decision is these tools will help. But if you don't have the skills and expertise to operate them, they're not really going to help you that much. Now, before you can even operate them, though, of course, you now have to get that integration. So before you're going to be able to have the SOAR tool, you know, connect to the SIM and connect to your vulnerability management or scanning system, your patch management, all of those other tools, you've got a lot of APIs you're going to end up writing. I mean, that's, I think, is one of the first things that I've learned talking to people that when they went into it, they didn't realize how much coding was involved. Now, they had the teams, they had the expertise, luckily, but they hadn't, they just didn't understand how much uh, work it was going to be just to get it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think for, for people who don't do it on a daily basis, it's one of the values that SOAR tools and any other um, operations platforms can, can play because they have expertise, they, they live and breathe the APIs. The good thing about APIs, especially REST APIs, has now driven us to a point where the automation used to be a complete nightmare, where everything, every different platform you integrated with was completely different. It was almost like everything was a one-off. Now, with APIs and the guides, you still need te technical expertise. It's not that anyone can go do it, but this is where I think the, the role of especially SOAR tools and other operations platforms. Uh, to give you an example, one of the SOAR vendors, we gave them the API guide for our on-prem uh, DNS appliances because the DDI data is pretty much the oil that greases a lot of the wheels of security operations. We can give you the context of uh, what the user is, uh, sorry, what the device is, where it is, what IP address it's got, MAC address, et cetera. And they were able to integrate it within about a month. So, but that's because these SOAR tools, that's what they're focused on. So this is one of the values you can provide. Now, still, we don't make, the security industry has a challenge with standards. Not like in networking where, you know, you know, put two things together and it works. Security, not so much. And so even though the SOAR tool vendors are good, then for anyone, any customers or organizations out there, 
I would encourage you to push your security infrastructure vendor to open up their APIs and make it easier for these tools because historically that's not been the case. And so it's been challenging for these the SOAR vendors, but also even just organizations themselves to be able to stitch this patchwork of security tools together. Very difficult to do when you've got disparate and difficult sets of APIs. The situation is improving, but you know it's not like Charles played by any stretch of the imagination. And that's where some of these operational tools can really help you out. Well, and the, uh, the whole API concept was something that early on, of course, I was in this back in the 90s and uh, everybody was coming out with uh, products and they included APIs. They wanted them to work together. But then we started getting the mega security companies that had, you know, they were building these massive portfolios and they didn't want anything in their portfolio to be competed with. So they started removing the APIs. So towards the end of the, you know, the 90s and early millennium years, we had security tools eliminating the APIs. Luckily, um, the CISOs of the world and others, they rose up and, and said, well, if you're not going to offer the APIs, we're not going to be buying your products. Mm -hmm. And so they've started putting them back. And like you said, we're not quite to where we were because it was really nice. Um, uh, if you, you know, if you could write in Python, uh, you could do some great integrations back in those early days. And we're just now getting back to that point, I think, um, where pretty much, and, and I've talked to CISOs that said, yeah, if there's no APIs, it, it's just dropped immediately. They don't buy anything that won't integrate. Mm -hmm. But that leads to the point of they're, and a lot of these, they're not doing the SOAR piece they just want to do the integration. They want to make sure that when an event happens, they can trigger a few other things. Now, commonly, that's just like, you know, generating a ticket, which is another way of alerting. I mean, I remember SNMP alerts, so that was big. Um, right. You know, the first thing you want your security team to know is when something goes wrong. But they're, they, they needed those APIs. So how much can you do, though, with just APIs if you don't want to go the full SOAR route? Yeah, I mean, the way to think about all this is really... What we're doing is we're trying to share context so you've got these different islands of security these different tools and platforms they have a snapshot or a certain view of your kind of security world as it were but it doesn't give you the full view and quite often they're making decisions without having the big picture so really with saw tools all we're doing is we're sharing context in, in the case of like what we do in, in infoblox is dns security events and, and ddi data dns and dhcp data so that gives extra context for them to make sense of the security orchestration process that they're trying to drive within the SOAR tool. But equally, the same for the APIs is in, in an ideal world, you need a combination of both the APIs for the SOAR tools, but also for machine to machine. So a lot of the ecosystem integrations we've worked on over the past five years is really about being automating the sharing of context that we know about to allow other tools and platforms within the network to make smarter decisions. So if you can do that, you have the benefit of, in some cases, rather than ever, like the human having to be in the loop in every case. You think about it today, you know, you send a security event from one platform to a SIM, someone has to manually look at it, decide what's going on, pull additional data. When they finally figured out what to do, then they go and push a response. Well, you know, I think the Americans call it a day late and a dollar short. I think that's probably the best way of describing it. Whereas with APIs, what that enables to do, and this is for organizations some of the, the partner community out there who kind of do a lot of the system integration, there's an opportunity for the sharing of context directly between machine to machine, taking the, the, the human out of the loop. And if you can do that, your response is going to be quicker and all the boats rise with the tide because suddenly they're all more aware of the bigger picture. They can make smarter decisions. I mean, what we do on our side is 
you know, we can tell vulnerability scanners when a new device is on the network, and we can tell it that we know it's a, a MacBook based on its DHCP fingerprint. So I can make that vulnerability scanner better, and no human needs to be in the loop. So there's good examples where APIs really open up a huge opportunity to allow um, essentially two different security infrastructure components to work together and make smarter decisions. That has to be part of the automation. Now, it's not, again, it's not going to solve all the problems, but it's certainly going to be able to, you know, improve the efficiency and the, and the rapidness of the response, whilst also still providing the context for a human operator using a saw tool to then manage the, the rest of the orchestration and the analysis. Well, and I, I like that specific example of the vulnerability scanner. And I'd mentioned like the service ticket. If both of those get kicked off, there's an event. They both happen at the same time. By the time the person gets the alert, oh, hey, I got to go look at something. By the time they go and look at it, the vulnerability scan's done. And they now have that right now up to the minute context. And yeah. so triggering things is not always about solving it. I remember, I mean, we had the same thing with NAC. We had, oh, DLP. I remember when DLP people just get it and turn on all the features and the whole network came to its knees. Um, right. With this automation stuff, you got to be real careful because I know people that they said, oh, well, when we see an incident, then you want to move them to the VLAN, get them off the network so it doesn't spread. And with false alerts and stuff like that, um, lack of context, the machines don't have enough information to make those kinds of decisions, but there's still a lot they can automate, and, and that helps. And that's a good example of what I wanted to get into here for uh, my third bullet I, was, I, I wanted to cover with you, which is some of the gotchas that um, I'm, I'm hoping people learn from DLP. You don't just install SOAR and then turn it all on. Um, there's got to be some things that they need to be aware of because it sure sounds wonderful in the press. And although you highlighted, I thought this was really great, the, oh, the orchestration part is the value, whereas all the press seems to be about the automation piece, which it doesn't really do as much on that side um, you know, as, as I'm seeing it implemented, they are doing it for orchestration. They might have a series of automated steps, but they don't have them auto triggered. They have a human take a look at that data, consider mm -hmm. the context and decide, do we want to do that or not? They don't have the machine decide to execute the automation. So it's not end to end automation. It's got automated steps to avoid errors, which you mentioned again earlier, you can use less skilled people, but what other gotchas are, are we seeing when people just plug this stuff in and hope it's going to solve all their problems? Yeah, it's, it's kind of what I said at the beginning around the expectation where people just assume it's going to solve their problem. It's not. And there's no kind of substitute for having a good security operations practice and policy. You need to know if you get a phishing email reported by one of your users, what do you do? Do all your security staff know what the process is to go investigate that? And then what tools are at their disposal? Can you get consistency across those operators? So going into it, like that's one of the main gotchas I see is people go in there thinking, well, I'm just going to press the big red button that's going to fix everything. No, it's not. <laughs> so what it's going to do is help you, like once you kind of codify that practice, that's going to help you from an efficiency. But going back to the automation part, the other gotcha is, you know, as you said, even if we share the context, you know, the impact of actually doing some of the blocking, a lot of people tend to go, well, I just want to go to drive towards prevention. One thing you've seen in the industry is, now, we'd love to get to the point where we could just prevent all the bad stuff, but it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, It's really about detection and response. So how can you minimize the time it takes you to detect and respond? And right now, you know, you get like uh, numbers quoted. It's gonna, for most organizations, it takes them about a year to figure out they've even been breached. Well, there's obviously a lot of room for improvement on that front. Getting down to full automation may not necessarily be there. But what you can do through the APIs 
is it's not just when you share the context, it doesn't always have to therefore trigger a block. It does mean when you send a security event, like from the, the, the kind of the receiving platform, they can go back and say, well, I did this and this other thing told me this at the same time. So then when it does get to a human, they've got all the pieces of information together. One of the other challenges, the other gotchas is stitching these pieces together. People think it's, uh, essentially the operators spend all their time looking at and analyzing the event. Unfortunately, it's been far more of their time just gathering the right data to then work out what's going on. And they spend more time gathering the data. So sharing of the context, I mean, it's a win just by making sure that like all the different tools have this holistic view, even if they're not necessarily triggering automation and automated blocking, which you know, comes with its own risks. And as you said, can, can result in unintended uh, consequences. Now, the first thing that you mentioned that I, I, I clamped onto right away, because I've seen this before. Again, DLP is a great example. People would buy the DLP solution. And the first thing they would do is turn it on to protect all data. And it's like, no, 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 you have to figure out what's the, you know, what kind of data needs to be protected at different levels. And, and they'd never really done an assessment of their data mm-hmm. on SOAR. Okay. It's going to help automate a process. Um, but do you even have that process documented today or do you just let every analyst kind of do it their own way? Right. Um, because if you don't have them documented today, you don't have what you need to tell the SOAR what to do. Right. Um, you've got that headache. Um, then there is the part of, uh, of APIs um, and having to write to those APIs to do all those connections. Mm-hmm. How much of a headache is that? Um, and... Or and is that something they can outsource, or what's the best way to deal with that part of the pain? Yeah, I, in terms of outsourcing, this is where I see the value of um, there's a lot of the system integrators out there who have like integration practice. Of we work with a number of, of our partners who that's where their expertise is. So it's not just the saw vendors and the, the security operations vendors, but MSSPs, uh, reseller partners, they've got practices where they spend a lot of time working with the APIs. And what you find is a lot of customers have the same challenge. They say, well, I need this thing to talk to this thing. And if only you could just share this piece of information. And sometimes, I mean, with the, the, the process that's happened below APIs, it become a lot more robust. They're sort of perfect. Uh, whereas before, the data was very much locked away in a platform and getting out. In fact, I remember the, the, my, one of the first customers I talked to when I joined InfoBlocks, I asked the security operations team, what can I do for you? And they said, all I want you to do is get the data out of that DNS appliance into that SIM. And you think that that would be relatively easy and straightforward, but at the time it wasn't. Now we can solve those problems. We can actually like, facilitate and automate that kind of process. Previously, that wasn't the case. So the, certainly the API is there, the data is there, the access is largely there for the most part. So, But you've got vendors out there who've got expertise in that area. So if you don't have the in-house skills, that would be one of the criteria I would for selecting an integration partner. It's like, can these guys stitch this stuff together? It's not just selling you multiple different security appliances and letting you go, go have at it. Part of the value they can provide is stitching those pieces together. And I'm, I increasingly see organizations who say, well, I don't have the operation staff at all. I'm going to outsource this to an MSSP. And some of those MSSPs have the skills because they're doing it for multiple customers. So I think the situation has improved dramatically in, in the last like, probably three to five years. Um, there's a little bit of a ways to go, but I still think that uh, the opportunity is there. Again, you have to also invest in terms of even your own skills of your own team so that they can understand those APIs and they can see, like, is there any additional information they'd like to be able to pull out? And we notice some of our, our larger customers are certainly starting to look into that and saying, well, what else can I do with uh, not just our, in our class, our security appliances, but also 
the cloud platforms as well. The cloud platforms, one of the, the nice things about more things moving to the cloud is cloud is very API driven. It's kind of like at the heart of how cloud generally operates. So as a result, it tends to be more flexibility and more of the stuff you expect to be there is there. So uh, I'm, I'm quietly hopeful that the situation is going to be uh, going to improve. But again, it still requires a bit of elbow grease and a bit of hard work and preparation to make sure it properly works as you uh, as you intend it to. Yeah, and then um, you've actually already kind of answered my next question, which was going to be on the maintenance side. So it already sounds like if you're going to go for something like a full-fledged store, um, you've got a ramp-up period while you're getting procedures and processes documented, doing the connections with the APIs. But even after you're set up, you've got to maintain all of those things. Every time either the SOAR product or any utility it's connected to comes out with an update, you've got to test and make sure that those APIs fixed because that's one thing I've noticed also in the last decade. Documentation on APIs is really hard <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep maintained. And because yeah. um, there's always some little nuance that you're calling and saying, hey, I have this problem. They're going, oh, yeah, that's because you're using the B25. Now, if you were using the B26, that would be different. You know, it's it. There's so many aspects that can impact an API. But again, mm -hmm. using the channel partner, if they're working with or, or the MSP, they've got so many people that once they figured out how to do it in one place, they can do it for everybody. And so you get that economy of scale there. But you're yeah. going to have it no matter what, whether you're going straight APIs for your own purposes, which might be the way to start, but mm -hmm. more sore, there's API work. I think that's that's the bottom thing. Be aware. Be aware there is API work. And absolutely. I mean, if, the good thing is like a lot of sort of vendors are focused on trying to make sure they can remain current. But the, the challenge is, especially just as I laud the, the benefits of cloud and the downsides of clouds is because you've got the continuous development improvement, people are moving to more agile software development. As a result, APIs change quite quickly. Now, I think most organizations or vendors understand that they have to try and at least deliver some level of consistency. So you're not breaking things every time you update the API. But sometimes, you know, when you're going to make some changes, uh, with the best will in the world, sometimes that's going to cause the APIs to change, and then that's going to potentially break integration. So it's, as you said, it's an ongoing battle. It's one that you have to kind of stay on top of. Again, I'm hopeful that the, the, the with the they're going to more focus on APIs and the work that the sort of vendors are doing. I think that can hopefully mitigate some of the worst effects. It won't be as bad as it was in bad old days, but it is still something to be aware of. And again, it's difficult because whereas maybe in traditional networking, you may buy, I don't know, your network infrastructure from a single vendor and it all kind of plugs together and it all just kind of works and there's standards, as I said before. In security, you don't really have that. And so you've got this heterogeneous network you know, and you've got this patchwork of APIs that you have to try and maintain and manage. That's not going to change anytime soon. So the best we can hope for is that the SOAR tool vendors and some of the, the uh, integration partners and MSSPs can try and take uh, the majority of the pain away. But, you know, you can't become complacent. Otherwise, you could find yourself in that critical moment when you really need things to work and you find that things are not working because you've not tested, not verified it. It's an ongoing, continuous like, operational exercise. Yeah, and that's probably not as big as an ask as it was. Um, actually, a uh, survey just came out from the Sands Institute that I was reading prior to, to coming on air here, um, where they were doing a, a global survey of SOC best practices. And one yeah. of the things they ask is, um, okay, what are all the different things that you do in your SOC? And they listed out 20 items. And then they said, so how much of that do you in-house how much do you do outsourcing and how much do you do a blend of in-house in and outsourcing? And there's an increasing number of things that they just, everybody's starting to realize 
you know, pen testing, there's certain aspects of it that we do only do it periodically. We don't need those skills all the time. So it's just cheaper and easier to outsource that and then hire skills that we can use for more day-to-day -day operations or more frequent event type things that happen. Um, so something like, you know, having the API uh, management being done by a third party is, is going to be useful. So what I wanted to kind of wrap up here, though, um, as, we, as we're approaching the end of our time, how, okay, somebody might have a, a few things today integrated, but they've decided, you know what, I really want to get as much automation as I can. And we've already clarified automation may not be triggering actions. It may just be triggering sharing of data so that it's always there so you have your context. Right. But where is a good place to start as opposed to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come up with kind of a, a okay, the easy level. Um, mm -hmm. Then at what point do you get a sore because you're talking several months of implementation work and contract work, but where are some of the easy wins that people can get? Yeah, I, a lot of it is in terms of, I mean, going back to the, the core essence of this is sharing the context. So there, in some cases, there are security platforms and what they're going to do is they are going to detect the threat. They'll tell you what the destination is. They'll tell you what the source is, or at least as much as they can tell on that front. So, that part in itself, it, it, you've already got a lot of those data and it's already in things like a SIM. So a lot of people start by looking at the SIM and saying, well, why is, what's my challenge with the SIM? Well, those events, for me to correlate them, I need that extra piece of, of data that's going to help me like identify the correlation to see how this is linked together. I mean, one customer I talked to, they get 4 million, just from like one tool, they get 4 million security events in a day and they can get through about 50. So... Their challenges is they need to find ways to easily spot the patterns and bring those pieces together. So one place to, to start is firstly, we had to provide some threat intelligence context that you can add to your security events. So someone's going to what you think is like badguy.com, you think it's bad, or why is it bad? Who owns the domain? You know, what, what campaign is it used in? So again, it's looking about taking these security events that you start as a good starting point, but what context are you missing? And quite often, threat intel is one part. The bit that tends to rely on, uh, kind of focus on what we do in Infoblox is the DDI data, DNS and DHCP data. I mean, very simple things where, uh, as I explained to uh, to one person a few weeks ago, it's what's the importance of, of this, this context as well. You get two security events in your SIM. And the first one, the event started with 10.1 was the IP address. And an hour later, there's another event from 20.1. And if you don't know the fact that this was the same device that changed its DHCP lease, you think you've got two events from two different laptops or two different devices. So even something as very simple and as basic as that, a lot of organizations struggle to do. So it's about looking at what security data you have today, what's your operational workflow, and what is the context you need to be able to make a quicker decision, whether that decision is made by a security infrastructure device, which can now make a smarter decision, whether it's to block or to add additional context to the event that they send to the SIM or whatever, or the SOAR, or whether it's something like, like threat intelligence context would give you better understanding of the adversaries and group that kind of information. So there's lots of stuff where it's really about thinking about the context first and how can you apply that, whether it's in the infrastructure or whether it's in the operations tool. And uh, you think that that's like a logical place to start, not everyone always does, um, but that's probably the place that I would probably start because that's going to give you the immediate means by which you can start to piece together what is really happening in your environment. Yeah, and I liked your example because you were talking about IP addresses. So much of uh, our context was always about Active Directory, around the user. 
but we're now living in a world of IoT and mobile devices. Um, I had a, a, a use case actually about seven or eight years ago at a security company I worked with before where they said, hey, uh, we know you're all bringing your own mobile phones. That was when you know company-issued phones were going away. And they said, um, so we've created a mobile network that connect that there, but your laptops you know, issued, those you put them on this network. And they started having a lot of security incidents. And it was several months before they realized it was because people were taking their mobile devices, their personal devices, and connecting them to the Wi-Fi network that was supposed to be for corporate-only devices. And it was a lot of, actually, it turned out to be safe traffic, but it was stuff that was just so abnormal that all the user behavior dynamics and every alarm was going off. They had just a nightmare. And it was because they weren't able to know what the devices were, let alone the users, because they would say, well, this user, their device is on there. Well, we gave them a laptop. They didn't realize it was the phone. <laughs> it was the right. cell phone. So, well, you know, yeah. um, there is so much context you need. and. And uh, we, we've got to go beyond Active Directory. And, I, and by the way, your, your IPAM information, um, I know you, DNS is a goldmine for analysts, but I think a lot of them also overlook the value in, in IPAM data. Uh, that kind of goes to that whole data set there. Um, so before we sign off, any final comments you want to share or did we cover it? I think you cover most of it. I think it goes back to, you know, again, there's no substitute for having a clear plan and a policy and a process. I mean, that's not going to go away. But I do think that there's huge value in these operations tools. And I think that a lot of the investment going forward will be in that because we've, most organizations have got more than enough security infrastructure. What they need is the operational tools to, to truly understand what's going on. So I think it's a really exciting area. I think it's an area that I would, my recommendation to anyone who's looking to make a buying decision is, you should be pushing your vendors to make sure that the APIs are there so that you can actually operate it in the way that you uh, uh, you intend to. So that's what would be my final thought. All right. Thank you very much for your time. And so um, luckily, we're right at time, which is kind of a unique thing for us. So, Craig, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Bob. And I want to thank uh, all of our listeners and viewers for your time. And join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk. Mm -hmm.